Hey, yabba dabba doo, punk rock fans. This is Paul from D-Cracks and also the Radcliffs. You are listening to the Almighty Dummy Room. What's up, guys? Dummy Room Punk Rock Podcast, episode 170. I am Nate. Hope everybody's doing good. If you're not doing so good, I have some really cool news that might turn the frown upside down. Mangy's news. Mangy's are, uh, you know, they've been active, somewhat active lately. You know, we're going to get another record, it looks like, soon. They're playing a festival in Belgium in July with Chicks Dig It. But this might be the best news of all. Uh, Mangies are coming back to the U.S. I don't know if there's any dates set. I don't even know where they're all going. Uh, Midwest to West Coast, maybe. Um, It's in September, October of this year. I'd say if you want the Mangies to play in your town, hit up uh, John Prophet Jr. or Dougie Tangent. I believe uh, they have something to do with this whole thing. So good on the Mangies and anyone else that's involved making this tour happen. Whether they want to hear about it or not, you know, they've been around for 30 years or so. And uh, it's just cool that they're still coming over here to play shows. You know, if they're anywhere near you, uh, just go check them out, you know, because it might be the last time they come over. Who knows? I really hope it's not, but, you know, who knows? Since we're talking about cool Italian punk rock news, I'm not sure if you remember or not, but I was teasing something on the award show episode and uh, this is it. I've been waiting to talk about this band for months. They're called Limouge, L-I-M-O-G-E-S. This is absolute gold. Total supergroup, uh, members of Volkov, The Ponches, Mega, More Beats, and Comet. Album's coming really, really soon. It's called Milan Shakes, Turin Shocks, Limouge Rocks. And that it does. It'll be available on CD from Slack Records in Italy on cassette from memorable but not honorable and uh the vinyl will be hey pizza so definitely super super stoked on this one i don't know how to describe these guys um my my initial thoughts were um super chunk the good super chunk trying to be the mangies and somehow ending up sounding a little bit like the windowsill which uh you know it sounds pretty fucking perfect uh, and that's what it is so i think you guys will dig it check this out Down and I swear I'll 
That song gets in my head for days. I love it. I love it. Um, so the album is coming out soon. Pre-orders will be up um, very soon. You know where to go, and I will be talking about this album every week for the next month or so. One more quick thing before I get to this week's guest. If you are in or around Chicago, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Columbus, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Bloomington, Detroit, or Newport, Kentucky, that is the path of the Dolly Rots tour right now. Go check them out. They're great. And our buddy Nick Rorick is on tour with them. So go say hi to him and buy him a drink for me. All right, this week's guest is Arnie Cherkos from Underhand Zoinks and Handgun Bravado. Been waiting a while to have this guy on the show Totally stoked. I haven't talked to him in 20 years or so. So let's do it. What's up, dude? Hey, how's it going, Nate? Thanks for having me on. Of course. Big welcome to the show, man. I'm super stoked I finally got you on the podcast. Well, I'm happy to be here. I'm sorry it took so long. I'm sure you won't know this, but uh, the last time we talked was in uh, 97 or 98. I uh, I booked a Zoink show in my town, the uh, Well and Good Tour. Yeah, La- lacrosse. Yep, and if I remember correctly, you you were like the guy booking the tour, too. Uh, I did a lot of that. I, yeah, I guess I did. I, I started booking stuff for Underhand. Um, and then when I joined Zoinks, I, I helped Bob do a lot of booking. You sent me, uh, you sent me like a press kit. I remember I had this big ass poster, the well and good poster. Oh, excellent. I remember Like that. a huge three by four. And I tried <laughs> to get the, uh, I tried to get the record store in town to, to hang it up, to promote the show. And it was too big. <laughs> They're pretty big. We probably should have stayed at some of those smaller, like poster size or smaller posters that one was yeah. really large i actually went back i was digging through some stuff last weekend and i found the the press kit had the had the eight by ten glossy and everything in there still oh cool i like that glossy yeah. we're in a uh, rob's chicken coop is that what that was the chicken yeah coop? yeah <laughs> Did you guys crawl in there 
you know, I, uh, there weren't any chickens in there. It was like an old chicken coop that was open on one side. And he had all these, like, uh, I don't know, baby dolls that he did art with that were like burned up heads. And it was just a creepy little place. Weird. Yeah. It's kind of cool, though. Yeah. Robin, he was doing, I don't know if he's, he always did art. Um, and not just, he did drawings and paintings and stuff, but he also did these, uh, had all these baby dolls and it's just like burning their fingers <laughs> and their faces and doing weird things to them. But they just, and they were all hanging in that chicken coop. It was creepy. I was thinking about the show and, uh, you remember you played at the, you played at like a cafe inside of, uh, inside the university. Yep. I think we played, um, I remember was it with the Broadways maybe. Yep, the Broadways played, and then uh, I can't. I was trying to think of the other band, and I couldn't remember. Yeah, you took us to Pop Bottle uh, House. <laughs> you remember that, huh? I'll never forget it. I still have photos of it, and I've, I've looked at them even in the last year or two. Uh, that guy was great. There's a, like a if you look on YouTube, uh, you can you can search it out. But um, there's like a little mini documentary about him and his yard. <laughs> um, he has since passed, of course. That was a long time ago, but uh, yeah, very interesting place. It was just cool. I like going on tour. And we'd show up somewhere. We'd we'd ask like, are there any weird houses or people or interesting figures <laughs> or something in town that we should see or know about? And uh, yeah, you took us right there, and that was great. That was exactly what we were looking at, looking for. That's got to be one of the craziest places. Because you don't know, like, I, I I took a few bands there, and I remember trying to explain it to him, like, oh, it's just a guy's yard, he's got a bunch of pop bottles, you know, and it's like, what? But once you get there, and he starts going through everything, and all of his little jokes about each little... Yeah, everything had a story to joke. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. But his guest book, I don't know if you if you signed it, but there was people from all over the world in there. I do remember that guest book, and there was a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... Cool place. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you remembered that because I was going to bring that up. So that's cool. I remember the actual show, though, uh, in order to do it at the university, it had to be sponsored by some, t- some type of student body organization. And uh, I had a, a friend who was part of a, an earth group, and they were going to sponsor it. So basically we could do it there, and uh, which everything was cool. Everything went well, but at the end of the night, he was gone, and somebody else in the organization took the money. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, they took all the door money. No. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, and they left. And it was like, oh, shit. Like, they had, I don't know if they did it, like, intentionally, like, stole it. I think they just, they didn't know what was happening. They didn't realize that the money was supposed to go to the bands, and they just took it for their organization. So yeah, that kind of sucks. Secure this. Did <laughs> what? What happened? Did we get paid? Yeah, yeah. I paid. I paid out of pocket. Oh, and I goodness. remember I was gonna. I don't remember ever talking to that guy again. But I think I tried to get a hold of him. Like, hey, that money, you know. But yeah, so it was a pretty expensive Stoink uh, show for me. Good well Lord. worth it though. <laughs> no, it was a cool place though. That was the only show we ever did there. After that, there was nothing, you know. We should have torched that place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. So, um. I got to ask you, dude, all these pictures you post from when you were a kid on Facebook, uh-huh. dude, you were super young, going to shows, you got like the mohawk, you're like 12 years old, maybe? Uh, yeah, I got into punk rock in, when I was 11, I was uh, 1983, and um, yeah, that's that summer of 83 is when I shaved my head, got a bus cut, and <laughs> I just, uh, I wanted to go to shows, there was, uh, I'd been wanting to go to them 
first one I really wanted to go to, I lived in Southeast LA. Um, it's kind of a, not a, a real nice area, but there was a <laughs> big show, uh, February 11th, 1983, and it was happening three miles from my house. The exploited, suicidal tendencies, aggression, uh, I think youth brigade. It's, and it, uh, it's, it's known as the Mendiola's riot gig. It was one of the biggest punk rock riots uh, in U.S. history. It was, I didn't get to go. And so uh, it was right by my house. I was, I was dying. And so the next day, my dad just threw the paper down, you know, and said, see, that's why you don't go to these. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. It took me oh, 10 more months to convince him to let me go to a punk show, another one. So I got to go see um, on uh, December 31st, 1983. It was uh, the Dead Kennedys, TSOL butthole surfers, the feeders, and the offenders. And that was that your was, first show. Yes. That was incredible. Yeah. There was other ones I still wanted to go to. Uh, they said I had to go. My, when I finally uh, broke them down a little bit, they said, you can go to a punk show if you go with your sister. And I didn't get along with her, and she didn't like me. And so, ah, uh, it killed me. They started the, the Olympic <laughs> Auditorium, the first show they had there, uh, when, they, when Gary Tobart... Um, started running shows there through Golden Voice. They had shows there before, like in 1980, Pill played, and there were other shows, Plasmax, I think, and you know, they, they played Perkins Palace. But um, he started this series of shows for two years there, and the first one was The Addicts and Peter and the Test Tube Babies. And I can remember even the date, even though I didn't go. It was October 25th, 1983, <laughs> and I totally wanted to go so bad. And so, yeah, I couldn't get to go to that one, and then, the next one uh, was a really important one for me. It was um, Discharge with MDC and um, I'm trying to remember who else played. I didn't get to go to that one either. Uh, that was my sister's first show, and I was just dying. I had to sit home. She went there. And then I even asked her a few years ago, I want to talk about that show still. And she's like, why are you so interested in talking about this punk rock stuff from the past? And I said, I love it. I want, I want to know. I want to take me through the show, You know what you saw, how were the bands. And it was pretty, um, I guess it was a letdown because she said, I don't really care. I wasn't really into punk that much. I was just into the scene. <laughs> it made me depressed <laughs> because I wanted to see Discharge so bad. And so uh, then it was the Dead Kennedys was the one. She said, I can go with her. We, My parents would drop us off. But as soon as we got there, she, uh, I followed her around a little bit. And she said, I don't know what you think you're doing, but you're not hanging out with me. Yeah, she ditched you. <laughs> Big time. And uh, yeah, I was, I was just turned 12. And everybody seemed really old. I mean, people who were 15 or 16 seemed like they were adults. You know, when I was 12, I probably looked like I was like 10, maybe nine. And so uh, I ran into some older punk rockers that I knew um, through some other people. And they were super, when I say older, I mean 15, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 16. <laughs> they seemed really like mature. And they all took me under their wing and said, you know, hang out with us. And the girls were like super cool, and cute and flirty. Uh, cool. And then... Uh, Took me. We went in the pit. I got on people's shoulders, and I just had a blast. That's and crazy. And my sister didn't have anybody to hang out with. She just would look like a big poo hole walking around the place, all <laughs> upset. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that's that's so cool that you were so young. And I mean, that was, I mean, that was a, That's eighty three, eighty four. That's when that shit was like in L A. That was dangerous. It was pretty. Know? It was nuts. Um, I was. <laughs> man, I was. Um, there were so many gangs, and it wasn't something that phased you that much because uh, there were gangs everywhere. 
Um, I lived in a gang infested neighborhood. My whole street was gangs. Every street around it was gangs. Um, I went, to, I got bused to school. I went to school in South Central Los Angeles. It was filled with gangs in the school and around the school. Um, every school I went to had gangs. Um, and then when you went to punk rock shows, there were gangs too. I, yeah. I didn't really like that because I guess I just, I, I had enough of gangs and I didn't like the uh, rap pack mentality. Um, I didn't understand. I mean, I didn't understand the suicidals. They just looked like regular cholos from my neighborhood. And they were at the shows, you know? And they, yeah. were, pretty, they were pretty violent. Mostly, I, I didn't have a lot of violence directed towards me. It was also strange seeing like those, all these gangs, there's not just suicidal tendencies, the lads, FFF, the firm, uh, BPO, Burbank Punk Organization. Then there was this uh, Circle One gang who was called The Family. And those guys, like I remember I was at, uh, the Olympic, this is probably in early 84, they had like Vietnam, like war paint on their face, you know, like camouflage, like black and white, weird uh, stuff. And I just remember staring at one of them and he's just staring at me hard. It was probably John Macias, Macias from Circle One Singer. Man, they look terrifying. <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck? You know, as if like the Mohawks and leopard spotted hair and piercings all over the place and, you know, all these thousands of punk rockers and then just like, I didn't even know where those guys fit in. When I got into punk rock, it was like 93, you know? So it was way more mainstream, you know, way more accepted. I can't, you know, and I was a little older than you too, so I can't imagine being that young in a in an environment of, you know, with that kind of, you know, the, this, the violence and all that shit. That's crazy. They, there were a lot of fights and uh, there were stabbings, uh, Jesus there Christ. were people who died who got killed at shows. I mean, these were shows. These ones at the Olympic, um, they were in down. They were downtown LA, right near all the freeways converged right there from like so. You can come from Orange County. You can come from valleys, uh, and they all kind of all these freeways converged in this one area. And then we would also party under these freeway bridges. <laughs> and there's just all the locals around there too. I mean, you could buy beer there. Uh, Cool. I don't know. I don't know if I would. Uh, I'm not sure that was a good idea to let me go, but I really enjoyed it. And I don't think my parents really knew exactly yeah, was, what was going on in there. They were like, yeah, it's just music and they look weird. Just like probably just the Beatles were for us. Yeah, I was going to ask you if, your par- if you ever told your parents exactly what was going on, but I don't think anybody did, you know? No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> mostly I was, you know, I, I would usually go to these shows and I would meet up with somebody outside or a few people. Just really briefly, and then uh, I might have a, I know, a beer or two, and smoke out, and then go inside. I I like to get in those shows really early, like uh, when the doors open. I want to be there at eight, and I'd go right there. I'd be there, be hardly anybody there. I'd walk, I'd look at all the merch, and walk around the whole damn place until it started filling up. And I would, uh, I started weaseling my way backstage too. I, I started a fanzine. And then I met cool. Gary Tobar from Golden Voice, and I interviewed him. I actually was, I was standing outside his office. It was kind of near those Circle One guys, and I saw Sean Stern, but I didn't know who he was. And I started talking to him. He had a backstage pass, and I asked him, um, how could I get one of those? And he was really nice. He wasn't a dick. He said, well, you could you could start a band. And I was like, <laughs> okay. But I wouldn't need one like now. <laughs> so I, he introduced me to Gary Tovar. I interviewed Gary for – I knew who Gary was. He was the promoter of Golden Voice, and uh, – I did a little interview and then Gary put me on the guest list with like a press pass. 
I was like 12 years old for like every show. <laughs> and so yeah. I would just, I never, I, and it was a big deal, not just to get backstage. These shows cost like uh, $8 to get in. Um, and I never had any money, you know, it was hard to get like a dollar. And so to get a free entrance to these shows at 12 and 13 with a backstage pass, and then I'd just be rolling back there. Uh, That's into all the, the backstage was huge. There were tons of rooms and I would just walk <laughs> into any room. I would just eat on people's daily plates or I saw people shooting up, um, all kinds of crazy stuff. I'd be like Wadi back there. Wadi picked me up and he just said, how old are you? And I said, I'm 12. And he said, does your mother know you're here? And I said, she dropped me off. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> crazy. Now I took as many pictures as I could with my 110 camera. Um, you know, so I got, got quite a few. Yeah, I love all those pictures, you know. You, every picture, like, I think it's like a bus pass or something you had once or something. You're oh, wearing, yeah. like, a, an exploited shirt or something. GBH on the bus pass. GBH on the bus pass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's crazy, man. So, like, you know, all the documentaries that I, that you watch on, on punk rock and all the all the Henry Rollins stories, like, that's, that's kind of how it was, huh? I know, but the documentaries, yes, and all the books, yes. I don't know. Uh, I don't follow Henry Rollins at all. I'm not a, a fan of that of him. But I'm just so saying, I, in like his books, he talks about Black Flag shows and shit and how crazy they were. And I've never seen Black Flag. I didn't like Henry Rollins. And even as a kid, when I was like 12 years old, I still I bought um, Damage. But um, I was really anti-long hair. And those guys all grew their hair out long. Yeah. And Henry Rollins was doing poetry readings. And I mean, I was 12 years old, so I was pretty close-minded. And so I just couldn't, I just was like, well, how could you have long hair and be in punk? You know, it's just, it looked... I hated it, and I hated poetry readings. And that you, um, Henry Rollins, I think would charge like seven hundred dollars to come see him read poetry. And I was like, you could go see like GBH for that. <laughs> Couldn't relate. Hope he's not listening. <laughs>
Was your first band Underhand? No, man. <laughs> Star, I, was, I was in a band about six months after I talked to Sean when I was Sean Stern when I was 12. Uh, I think I was thir- I just turned 13. And I joined uh, an established band who, again, they all seemed pretty old to me because they were in high school and they drove and I think they were 16 to 18. They were called um, the Obnox, like the Obnoxious. Okay. Cool. I was second guitar. <laughs> they were, uh, we did some Johnny Thunders covers. It was all it was pretty good. Johnny Thunders and had probably eight originals. I was terrible. I'd only been playing guitar <laughs> a few months and I never practiced. You know, just I just learned a bar chord, and that's all. And I could, and so it was tough for me. And uh, yeah, they kicked me out, and I I deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> they all went to this. They all went to the same school. They all went to a Catholic school. And I huh. I, I met more more punks from that school recently that I'm friends with in the last couple of years. It was called Bosco Bosco Tech. And so they they uh, what did they say? They they gave our, our our everybody had a name for punk or a different name, post punk or this and that. And they they said we were post-parochial hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe they had graduated. I mean, they were, they were definitely older. So uh, where do you go after that? You're, you're obviously not deterred too badly. You start practicing or something or what? Uh, I guess I did. I probably practiced. And then I'm trying to think. The, the next band. I was 13. Uh, then I probably didn't join another band until I was 15. I... Um, put an ad in a record store, just wrote something looking for a, everybody else. I'm just a guitar player. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so somebody picked up my, picked up the ad again. They're really older guys. I'm 15 and this 25 year old uh, singer guy who I'm friends with to this day called me up and said he had a drummer and they were looking for a guitar player. I was a little better than now. I couldn't drive. So they had to come pick me up and we'd go <laughs> back to their house and practice. Um, and that guy was really cool. His name was Steve Croy. He, He's, he's a really uh, old school punker from the 70s. He's from Omaha, Nebraska. I mean, he's he was into punk when the Sex Pistols were playing and they came when they toured the U.S. and was trying to get to that show. You know, but he was a, you know too young. and His parents wouldn't let him out. Um, a really nice guy. He was, uh, didn't drink or do drugs. And my parents, he was in the Marines. He's just getting out. My parents just thought he was wonderful. Super clean cut, nice guy, just really into punk rock. And uh he was one of the first people that they would let me go to shows with or, you know, not them dropping me off. I could drive with him. What were we called? We were called, we don't care. That was that <laughs> band taken from the sex missiles. Of course we don't yeah. care. And then, uh, then there was just, I mean, a ton of bands after that. Uh, there's a lot of those bands would last. Most of my bands would seem like last about anywhere from two weeks to three months. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, probably like, before underhand, maybe like another six or seven bands, and maybe more. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, no recordings. No recordings. Yeah. Mm-mm. That sucks. They weren't very good songs. <laughs> cool name though. I like that Obnox band name. That's good. The, the Obnox. <laughs> um, so how do you end up in Oregon with with underhand? Is that I move away to college or what? No, man. I was. Totally done with college by then. I I, um, I graduated college in like '92, and then um, I was playing with pretty much underhand uh, before I went. I I went. I was living up in Humboldt State at Humboldt, going Humboldt State, and I started a band with uh, the underhand guys, Matt Hodgson and and Mike Mills, and we called ourselves. They both worked at Little Caesars Pizza, so we called <laughs> ourselves uh, 
the little little seizures. Nice. That was the band name, and so that was um, <laughs> that was what that was underhand. That was right before underhand. So there's different songs, uh, a little scrappier. Do have some re a recording on a tape cassette somewhere, um, and so that from that point, yeah, I was I've been going to Humboldt State for three years, and I didn't really get anything accomplished, like not much. And so I, I had to leave that school, and I went down to live with my parents back to LA, and I just finished the. I did about half of college in three years, and then I did the other half, the harder shit at the end, in a year and a half. I just busted <laughs> out and did it all. Yeah, I took yeah. as many classes, didn't do anything, hardly go to shows, just study, 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 class, class, class. And then I got done. It, um, then I wrote songs, too, while I was down there, down in L.A. So I came back and, and started up the band again with Matt and Mike, and we changed our name to Underhand. And we wrote, and it had all new songs. Cool. And we were, <laughs> that was in, uh, came up in June of 94 and we recorded our first demo in um august 94 and we went on tour the next week and we were yeah we were we'd played together for a while but these were all new songs they never they didn't know any of them so we just kind of i don't know played some played some local shows and did a recording we went to it was my first time going to a real recording studio and there was um it was pretty fancy it was all up in the hills and these guys were like from los angeles I'm not even sure why they let us in. Uh, we only had a hundred dollars, <laughs> and um, and they said they wanted to work with local bands, and they said they they uh, they heard our stuff and they liked it, and so uh, yeah, the guy it was a pretty real uh, studio with like nice gear and everything. It's very, and all I have is we had a hundred dollars. <laughs> we went in there, whatever we could do for one day. We think we recorded eight songs. Uh, you know, we hardly ever do second tracks, or you just. You play yeah, yeah, it all yeah. live. It is what it is, and then you do the vocals over. That's it. Oh, that's cool. You guys, uh, you know, Underhand is is kind of enshrined in pop punk history for being the first release on Mutant Pop. Mm -hmm. To me, that's that's so cool. Like, oh man, like what a, what an important label that is, and you were the first one. That's awesome. How'd you hook up with Timbo? That was on that first tour that I booked. You know, and so um, I. I never booked a tour or anything. I just would call or try to get numbers from anybody I could. And then when I was talking to them, I asked if they had any numbers for anywhere else around there and just yeah. start working my way. And so we made it up to, we went, we went up to Canada and we played a couple shows in Canada and we came down and we, one of our shows was in Corvallis and it, Tim was putting on, um, we were playing, he had a show, I think we called him and he said he already had a show that around then we didn't care what night. So you would just like, you know, you book your tour kind of however it, worked <laughs> you know so whatever he said he had a wednesday night somewhere until it was playing and i think the invalids and so we uh we hopped on that and then i met tim and he's that's a cool show tilt and the invalids yeah and under him wow. and um yeah, yeah it wasn't yeah. not very many people came i mean there might have been <laughs> i don't know 10 to 15 people wow that's crazy <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of our shows are pretty small. It wasn't like a big deal. We were just happy to be driving somewhere and playing. Yeah, but I just you think with tilt on the on the bill, you know, more people yeah. would show up. But so is Tim. Uh, how does that work out? Like, is Tim already thinking about doing mutant pop, and you guys are just like that final like push over the edge for him? Or I'm not 100 percent positive. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, we gave him a demo that night, and he totally liked it, and he he got in touch pretty quick. And asked if, um, I think, you know, I can't remember every detail. It's fairly, 
smoking pounds of weed, but um, <laughs> something to the effect of, you know, yeah, yeah. he's going to start a label. And if we wanted to, you know, put out a record on it, and, you know, it's not like we had any other options or anything we didn't know. I was just happy. I would plan probably have done it myself, just put out a record. I put out um, one record. I didn't really enjoy it. So I put out a compilation record that has a that has an underhand song in it. One of the demo songs. What record is that? Uh, it's called Behind the Redwood Curtain. It has uh, the Couch of Eureka, One Man Running, Underhand, and uh, another band from Humboldt called Grout. Grout. You need one? I certainly don't have one. I'll get you one. Yeah, if you got I'm, copies, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I do. I'll send it to you. Couch of Eureka. That was, uh, you know, when they, I remember when they got on Lookout. I know. We were talking a little bit to Lookout too, and I was, I was jealous of that. I wanted to be on Lookout Records, and Tim got in between the whole deal and tried to talk Larry Livermore into signing us and would start telling people why they should do things. And that just made him like hate us <laughs> and Tim. <laughs> so that didn't work. Uh, but that sucks, man. That it, So it almost happened or what? I can definitely see underhand on Lookout. I wouldn't say it almost happened. Uh, I think, uh, no, I wouldn't say that. Um, oh. I think Larry wasn't down with us. I think he maybe said something to the effect of he already had a green day or something. Oh, boy. Yeah, <laughs> I've, if Couch of Eureka can get on lookout, mm, underhand should have been on lookout. They love those guys, you know that whole lookout. All those people and they just love Eureka and they love Couch and um, they're just uh, they're a different kind of band. I'm yeah, a, yeah. I don't know what to say. Uh, they're a little weirder. I'm I'm weird, more more meat and potatoes, straightforward, straightforward rock and roll type punk. It's not ton of frills you just put it in songwriting i mean rock and roll has been around forever and it still sounds good in its basic form oh it sounds best sounds Mm -hmm. best that way man but yeah that 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 couch of eureka thing i just yeah of course it was on lookout so you check it out and i just i i didn't get it you know i was like eh, wasn't for me wasn't the lookout stuff uh, that i liked they're still the same i mean those those they're still like weird you know i mean they're i have no no issues with them they're just there's just bands that are just weirder that I just don't get into. Oh yeah, and there's a yeah. lot of punk bands like that too that I that a lot of people seem to like, um, but I just can't I can't get into. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a ton for me. Um, you okay? <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was my wife getting uh, some ice. Oh, I guess let's go right to Zoinks. Like I assume Underhand played with Zoinks on at a show, and and that's how you met them. And that is exactly what happened. It was in Casper, Wyoming. 1995. <laughs> it was the summer. It was great. Um, that was another one. I'm booking these tours, just trying to get shows anywhere. And I, I get uh, Alex Ness from Casper, Wyoming. I'm just asking, can we get, is there any show? You got anything we can you know, play? We'll be around there. And um, yeah, he said he had a show with Mandingo and Zoinks lined up. And if we wanted to open the show, we could. And I said, sounds great. I um, try to think. Yep. Uh, I had heard, I heard Zoinks from the invalids gave me a tape they had just played with them the night before in reno uh, when this is how you, you network man there was like oh, the yeah. internet like you'd meet these fucking bands that i never met from santa rosa i've never heard of he gives me a tape that he got the night before from zach from zoinks that's got zoinks <laughs> on it and i was just like oh, this is great so we just listened to that non-stop like all and we were driving my pickup truck on tour we took a pickup truck and uh, <laughs> then we would uh, and we would just have that Zoinks tape on nonstop through South Dakota everywhere. It was great. And then so um, 
I hope I didn't get this mixed up, but I think I think this is all right. Yeah. Then we have that. Yeah. Then that's. I'm getting those two years mixed up. The got the Zoinks tape in '94, but did listen to it. Then got a show at Zoinks in '95. Gotcha. Um, in Casper, Wyoming. It was one of the biggest shows that we had played. Uh, there was probably maybe 400 kids there in Whoa. some big, crazy like warehouse. It was in the daytime, so it wasn't even night. Like maybe the show started at five. Um, the stage was just some not like I mean I don't know if it was like milk crates with like wood on top of it or something. I mean it bounced. <laughs> it was barely holding together, and you know it was uh, like maybe just a foot high. You know, just so kids in the back could see, and it was really packed. And we sold everything we had. Um, we sold every magnet, shirts. We would just make shirts on the road. So we would um, we'd go to Kmart or something, and you know, buy ten shirts, and then we'd get to the show early. And I had a silk screen behind the seat of my truck and a little <laughs> thing of paint. And we would That's just awesome. we'd do about we'd do ten shirts. Um, you know, whatever we could afford, which usually cost us about a buck a shirt. You know, and the paint we already had, the silk screen we didn't pay for. I think I borrowed it. And then, um, yeah, we'd sell the shirts for five. And then if you wanted a screen on anything, your own, your, your own shirt, just <laughs> give us a dollar. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it on there. And then we told everybody, you have to iron it. Don't just wash it. You have to iron it first. They weren't. <laughs> you had to do part of the work. That's cool. Well, anyway, that, that was such a great show. And, um, you know, we all went back to Alex's house. I think Alex had a one-bedroom house. And um, three bands stayed there. We all just we all just <laughs> put our sleeping bags. It was just one big human quilt thing in the, li- the living room. We just all lay in there, different directions and bodies and people. And everybody was so cool. The Mandingo guys and Zoinks, <laughs> and we had a good time. And uh, I'm still friends with Alex. You know, we put on that show. And Casper's a really it was a cool town. Yeah, it had that's... a cool scene. I don't know if it was a cool town. It had a cool scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was kind of the, a magical time, too, you know, 94, yeah. 95. You know, there was a lot of excitement. Even shows here did, were doing, well, they were they started to get good in 95, 96, 97. That's when, you know, everything was really rolling. But, yeah, perfect, great era. Gas was like 87 cents, dude, so we could drive around in my pickup <laughs> truck and get paid $20 and still like save money. You know? Yeah, how did you how do you tour in a in a in a pickup truck? Three guys in the front? No. Or was we, there like an extended a, cab or what? I, I didn't have an extended cab. I had a um uh, an 86 and a half Nissan hard body with a shell and it didn't have the back window. It had what's called a boot. And so it's all connected. And so we put all the gear on one side. I mean, we had to stack the drums inside. They didn't have, they only had, I guess, heads on one. So we'd stack those all up and all the amps over. We'd bungee cord kind of everything to one side. <laughs> and there'd be a narrow strip for one person to lay down in the back on one oh, side. Shit. And then they could turn around. They could talk to the other people, you know, in the front. You couldn't hear the music that good in the back. It was pretty noisy back there, you know, but that <laughs> was awesome. I mean, it was cheap. That's what we had. It was reliable. That truck was rad. That's cool. That's cool. Did you guys ever play in Wisconsin? You said South Dakota. You're getting close, so. That was as far as we made. Uh, as far as we went, was uh, we went to nope. Rapid City was it? We didn't have anywhere to go after that. And I think we just had to turn around, or you know, we didn't have any shows, or no, or maybe maybe it was because we could only be gone two weeks. Or that's cool though. So how do you end up in Zoinks, man? I mean, they just you just became friends, and it's so weird because like I I don't know the whole story, of course, but like you weren't Zach's replacement. You weren't supposed to be initially, mm-hmm. at least. You were just supposed to be his second guitar. Yep. So yeah, I was. Um, I was after that tour. So 
you know, that, I think that was in June or July, somewhere in the summer. It could have been August, I guess, but it's probably, I don't remember exactly, in the summer. And then probably four months later, um, it was crazy. I was sitting, I had pneumonia real bad and a super high fever. Um, and I was definitely hallucinating and the phone rang and it was Zach. And then he never called me before. We never talked. I didn't talk to him since that one night. And he said, this is Zach from Zoinks. And he said, you know, we uh, we like you, we like your band. And, you know, we we're uh, thinking about adding another guitar player. And we were wondering if you want, would want to try out. And I said, yeah. And then I hung up the phone and I remember looked at my wife and I'm like, am I hallucinating right now? Because this is like one of those things you always want to happen, like some band you like to call you and ask you to join, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so it wasn't. So yeah, I just arranged to go out maybe like two weeks later. And I went out just... Uh, played with them and they were like yeah sounds good nice easy I, I talked to them <laughs> those guys a little bit later and like i i think they were zoinks was having problems before i joined the band um you know maybe they zach was getting tired of it um, or did want to continue on that style and i think he was looking for something else to spice it up or make it a little different and i don't i don't i don't know that i did make it any different it was more of the same uh, and it was fun for a while i definitely had fun uh but yeah, Zach was, he's a, he's a really good musician and uh, oh, yeah. I think he was looking for some, you know, more better musicians. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely was the worst one in that band. How soon after you joined Zoinks are you guys opening for Green Day in Hawaii? Two months. <laughs> wow. Because, yeah, I always, I always forget that you were in, the, of course I wasn't there, but I watched the video, you know, years ago. And for some reason it just, it never clicked that you were in the band at that time until, you know... Uh, like a year ago, I watched it again. I'm like, shit, Arnie was in the band at that time. What yeah, a, what so a that fucking, was, and that crowd was huge. I, I, of course, that, Green Day was huge back then, but even back then. Yep, it was. Uh, that was probably eight, that was like eight thousand people was on the Pearl Harbor Pearl Harbor Navy base. Um, and it was yeah, that was uh, Jason Miller from uh, 808 Productions over there, who now I think he lives in Florida now. Um, we were. He was putting on a show for us at the um, at the University of Hawaii. He wanted us to come and play there, and so yeah. he hooked up the gig with Green Day. The University of Hawaii show was great. Um, that was a show that was 200 people came, you know, uh, a lot there to see us, and it was six bucks to get in, and they gave us 100% of the door. So we got 1,200 bucks for that show, which was a lot. Uh, yeah, but yeah. we needed that to cover our airfare. Airfare was $1,200 to get four people over there, <laughs> and so uh, and then the Green Day show. Um, we got paid three hundred dollars. We were only supposed to get two fifty, but they gave us an extra fifty. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. That was like I know. That video, I mean, people are into you guys too. Which you would think nowadays, like if you guys you know, if Zoinks opened for Green Day now, they would never get the response like that. Yeah. You know, but in ninety six or ninety seven, whatever it was, uh, that crowd was they were kinda going nuts for you guys. That's cool. It was it was 96, uh, February 96. People were, um, there were three big slam pits, man, just to the PA music before the music <laughs> started, dude. People were amped and ready to go off. And so <laughs> maybe it could have been anybody. So were you guys the only <laughs> band, the only support band for Green Day? Or was there like yes. Pansy no. Edition or somebody? No. Um, it was uh, Grapefruit opened up the show and they were locals. And so uh, Jason got Grapefruit and us on that show. Wow. That's crazy that you could just get anybody on a on a Green Day show, you know? 
I don't, I don't know how we did it. And I don't think, think it ever happened like a lot, you know, but it was just, it was just a random thing and it worked out. So yeah, when those guys asked me to join, they already had that. They said, Oh, we're going to go on tour in February and we're going to go, going to play, go to Hawaii and open for green day. And I'm like, shit, yes. It kind of blows my mind because, uh, what the first time I saw green day was in, in Madison, Wisconsin, and this this uh, local band from there called the X Action Figures, they were supposed to open up, and they got booted from the bill. And then I know they played in Appleton, or somewhere in Appleton, Wisconsin, the night before, the night after the Madison show, and Boris the Sprinkler was supposed to play that show, and I think they got booted too. And I had heard, like, Green Day was like, you know, it was supposed to be just Pansy Division and, and, and Green Day, and no local bands. Yeah. So it's... And that was in 94. So it's just crazy that in 96, Grapefruit, <laughs> you know, and Zoinks can s- somehow, you know, squeeze on a Green Day bill. That's nuts. I totally agree. It is nuts. Good for you guys, though. Plus, we were on tour. So, I mean, we were, we drove down. <laughs> we toured all the way down to Los Angeles. I mean, I guess not toured. From Reno to Los Angeles, we drove eight hours. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I think we, I can't remember if we played that night. We played a couple shows in L.A., um, at the Showcase Theater, they were pretty big shows too. And we stayed. I don't remember. Uh, my parents came to that show, and they, never, they didn't come to a lot of shows. And they were. Uh, my dad was like, the "Kids seem to like it when you make jokes." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Dad. And then uh, <laughs> what else? Um, we parked Bob's van. We didn't have anywhere to put it when we went to Hawaii, so we left it. And my my parents had a driveway. You know, we could stash it behind a fence back there. Cool. Your van was like you needed that thing, man. People were people were ripping off vans, and somebody carved a fucking swastika in the side of Bob's van really? in Texas. Yeah, and then we had to put Jeez. like a million stickers on the side. <laughs> we got pulled over all the time in that thing. I, I suppose they just they see all the stickers, well, and we only had stickers on to cover the swastika on one side, so they weren't all over. It was just um, <laughs> you know, it's just a um, uh, just a blue van that maybe looked kind of spray painty blue. It looked a little junky and it was kind of older and it was sort of just, man, the wind would carry that thing all over. It had bad suspension. It was like leaking oil. Um, but I think just the out-of-state plates, we just got pulled over like pretty much Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida. You just cross the state line, they get pulled over and they'd say, somebody reported that you're weaving all over the road, you know, for miles. <laughs> and we're like, that never happened. We just got on, you know, right at that last exit. And then he'd say, well, can I search the van? And um, once I got more confident because I, I, I stopped having anything on me, I just said no. And actually it was Bob. Uh, Bob was like, man, he's he's got such confidence and stuff. And, um, you know, and the, um, the cop said, why not? We do this all the time. And he said, well, I don't believe that you have any reason to believe we have anything illegal in here. <laughs> and then he and the cop just looked at him like wow like nobody's ever fucking said that i mean there's we we're driving down these i think it's i-10 you know to go across the south and there's just people being pulled over and their car searched all over the place i mean old people everybody um, and bob just shut him down and said no and then he said okay and we didn't want to tell him we were in a band we didn't want to tell him we had like merch money or anything we don't need we were trying to get to the next show yeah yeah and it's annoying anyway we didn't do anything wrong were you a Were you a lawyer at that time? Had you? <laughs> no, no. Oh, uh, I uh, <laughs> I didn't become a lawyer until uh, I I passed the bar in two thousand three, and so that was probably I don't know five years after I stopped playing with Zoinks. Um, after the, I I don't get to that. We did move to we we ended up in Oregon. I'll get back to the lawyer stuff. I'll talk about the Oregon stuff. So uh, Zach's out of the band. 
we continue on as a three piece. Uh, hey, let me let me mom. let me interrupt you real quick. Let me ask you a question okay. about when Zach's in the band because I know in the in, at the Green Day show, I think you guys played like Wood and Nickel. So were you? Mm-hmm. Did you write that song for for Zoinks? Nah, dude, I'm the worst. Um, I'm a really slow songwriter, and so I would just steal songs from my other bands. And so that was probably an underhand <laughs> song, and, okay. uh, and I, uh, probably more than one. And then I said they, that I just wrote them. I'd actually practiced them with underhand, and so I got bad news. I got to have some songs for this new band, so I'm taking these songs. And <laughs> they're still my friends, those guys, yeah, yeah. but um, that's not that's not real kind. No. What, what were you... Um... I mean, that, but that's cool of, of, I guess, Zach and Rob because, you know, Zach is Zach's a fucking great songwriter. And for him to let you, you know, the new guy to bring in some new songs, that's pretty cool. They wanted me to. And that's when I was like, the pressure's on, man. I got I to gotta steal some songs from my old bands. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you stole some good ones because well and good, I think it's a great record. Um, you know, it still has... I know it sounds like fucking zoinks. It had that zoink sound, which I can't really ever explain. It's like kind of like you know, it's pop punk, but it's kind of like nerdy prog stuff at the same time. You know, probably because of Bob mostly. But um, uh, yeah. So well and good was that. Like obviously Zach's out of the band, but was Zach was that record ever gonna be like the next zoinks record with Zach? Or I mean, was was Zach ever part of that record? I don't think he was ever part of that record. He might have played some of the songs with us. Um, we were, um, God, it was the Panorama record. We were, that was the first record I was going to be on with those guys. And we just did not have enough material, you know? And so um, I think I put in, I don't know, one song, Pedestal. That was, that was the another song I stole from Underhand. <laughs> I needed songs quick, and so I pilfered those ones. They hadn't been recorded. They were pretty new, 
you know, I'd, I'd written them recently. Um, I might songwriting was getting better, but yeah, I needed the song. So we, we started, we want, we just wanted to record. We just didn't have the material though. And I mean, we were um, not so, we picked this studio that's like in Reno. It's two blocks from my house. It's an old Victorian house. And it's, um, it's like another super pro place. Like on the walls are like the people they record there are like white snake and boys to men. You know, I'm not used to that stuff. And like, there's, they have like bedrooms there where like the bands could stay. We didn't do that. You have to pay for everything. And so I just lived two blocks away. Um, but like they, the, I remember the bass player room was like really shitty and small. <laughs> it was like the lead singer and lead guitar had like better rooms. And they had, they showed us like, here's the soundboard. This is from Abbey Road. This is the actual soundboard from Abbey Road, you know, that did the Beatles play yeah, yeah. album. And, you know, I'm, I guess I just didn't really care. I don't really like the Beatles that much. And so the yeah. guy's like presses this button on the thing, you know, this big gigantic console and this button just pops out and shoots across the room. <laughs> I was just like, so what? Um, so we, we had to record, uh, those guys didn't even record us, the engineer. We flew mass, mass out. Okay. Which was, I mean, this is getting really expensive to put on a five song record. You know, we're this, this white snake boys to men studio flying mass out to produce the damn thing. <laughs> Uh, we have five songs, and um, and then we tell Bill we want it to be a ten inch, you know, and those cost like more to make, you know, and they don't even sell. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, seemed like a pretty expensive endeavor, but I think we we're we we're kind of capping out on songs, and then I think we wrote a lot of well and good. I, I'm not even sure if, if um, I don't think Zach played those songs. I think we wrote that. That's when we went to a real big songwriting thing after he left. Yeah. Panorama is a great record. You know? I like it. That's crazy, though, that there was a budget, that kind of budget for for. There was like no budget. EP, you know? There wasn't any budget. We just we had no idea. We just were like, we want this, do this, do this. And Bill was just like, yes, yes, yes. I mean, that record must have cost a fortune. I'm sure it's, I mean, it's, I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> oh, man. But Dr. Strange was a cool label, man. Very cool. Super nice guy. He, he would, um, help us with shirts like we would pay buy the shirts we pay for the shirts and we do our own logo on the front and he if we put dr strange on the back he would give us a dollar for every shirt or something like that cool. i mean something not not really big but we needed every dollar we could get yeah i'd, I'd make that logo on the back huge ask him for five bucks or something you know yeah. <laughs> i watched uh you ever watch his live shit he does on like you know it's, it seems like it's every night i think it's only friday nights on facebook Unfortunately, I do. It's Wednesdays and Fridays. I try not to watch it that much because, uh, particularly if I'm drinking, I'm, I'm really. <laughs> when I first started watching it, I um, it's it's not the way I like to buy records. I like to look at a record and hold it in my hand and flip on the back and think about it. Maybe do some research on the internet and see who was in the <laughs> band, what it become. And this is just like, who wants it? You have to say dibs. The first one says, you don't even know what the price is of the record or what kind of condition it's in, and you just have to say dibs. And so. Um, when I get in those modes, if I'm going to buy records, I just, I just dib everything <laughs> and it's bad. And so I've done it. I've done that three times. Um, and I'm really fast. I'm a super fast typer. And I could tell, I could, sometimes I could tell which record he's going to flip because he'll give clues. He'll say things like these guys, uh, first played at the Olympic auditorium with the addicts in 1983, you know, they were on tour and I said, and I already know it's Peter and the test two babies. So I, ha I already have dibs written out and I write <laughs> PT and B PT and B. 
you know, just real quick. And I'm like, wow, how's Arnie getting these quick? Or I could, I'll sometimes, if they're touching a record, I could look a little bit and see what the color might be, and I could guess what records might be somewhat. Not perfect, but, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> it's everything. But, yeah, so try not to watch that too much. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I caught it last weekend, and they had a show in the store. I don't know if you oh, saw that. Oh, that was great. Was that the field day one? Yeah, and they're great, but I know there's the the, the dag nasty connection there. But um, fucking a, dude. I like them. Uh, yeah. Every time I bring them up, um, Colin says that they they suck, and so <laughs> I don't bring them up to Colin. And there's got to be something. I don't even want to ask him about it. I'm sure there's some sort of band history, you know, because he was in a band with both, you know, Doug and Peter. Yeah. Different times, and then there's the other dag nasty going. Dag with Sean. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I guess, man. I'll take Smalley, actually. <laughs> I just thought it was cool they were doing shows there. Yeah, it was it was cool. Oh, very cool. He's done a few there. That's awesome. Yeah, I watched those and I'm like, God damn it, that's a store I want to go to. You know, I used to yeah. travel. I used to like drive to wherever to go to just a record store. And uh, unfortunately, I never made it to, to there. But yeah, I'd love to go there sometime just to, I don't know, maybe just to meet him because he seems like just a just a character, you know? He's always like that. He never stops. He's hilarious. He's super funny. You know, I mean, every email and text I get, it's just like something inappropriate. And I love it. Back to Well and Good. Like, so Zach didn't play those songs. You guys just put it out there. You know, I don't know if people looked at you like you were Zach's replacement, but you did it make it kind of easier to be in Zoinks knowing that you, you joined not as Zach's replacement, but just as a, you know, a fourth member? So when he left, Zach was my favorite person in the band, dude. I mean, <laughs> I, I was fucking pissed when he left. You know, I'm like, I, dude, what are you doing? I moved over here. My girlfriend, who's my wife, dropped out of college. You oh, know, no. I'm, I'm, I live with you. You know, <laughs> I'm your roommate until my wife moved over, my girlfriend, and then we got a place. And I was like, uh, couldn't you have thought about this before? Like, I mean, he's like, well, it was kind of, you know, there were problems before with Zunks. We brought, you know, it was like like a married couple has problems and then decides to like have a baby. Cause they think that's going to fix the marriage. That's what I was. I think I'm the baby. <laughs> I was yeah, the baby. I told Zach this, that what the first time that I saw Zoinks was in Madison and I had no idea that, you know, there was, I didn't know who you were. I didn't know you were in the band and it was a, it was a trio, you know? And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. And then I'm like, I don't think that's Zach, you know, no, like it took me no. a, a minute. And then I met you after the show but yeah, I thought the first time I saw you, I was blown away, man. I don't know if you remember that Madison, Wisconsin show at OK's Corral? I do. You guys I do. and Dillinger 4 opened up. It was killer. That was, I remember Patty uh, <laughs> getting on the bar and walking like like some kind of rock star video and walking on the, straight on the bar with people's glasses and yep. you know, drink yep. glasses. And it was great. I love that show. I always liked those rhetoric shows because Brad would bring out all the records. You know, you have that big box like two tables full of seven inches. I loved going to the rhetoric shows just for that reason. I like going to his house, dude. And he let us look at all his stock in the basement. And, <laughs> um, he had like, I didn't even know Wisconsin had great weed like that. But yeah, Brad always had the best, best, really good stuff. I went to uh, rhetoric. I got dropped off at his warehouse once. And actually that's the same day I met Timbo. Now, I've only met Timbo once and he was there. The parasites were supposed to pick me up there. And uh, they couldn't make it up from Chicago. They were running late. So Brad's like, I'll drive you. So we end up going to Brad's house first. And we go to the basement, of course. And uh, he's like, oh, you might not want to go in that room. But the records are over here or whatever, you know. 
Yeah, I, I knew what was going on, but yeah, dude, driving with Brad was the most terrifying fucking ride I've ever had. A hundred miles an hour on the interstate, it was scary, man. You'd think all that weed would mellow him out and make him go slower. He was he was drinking too. It was like, oh, I might die, but Brad had a had a good thing going for a while, didn't he? Yep. Hey, um, I'm gonna back up a minute. So sure. after Zach left. Uh, which was awful. I hated it. I'm sad. I love Zach. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm like, dude, you're the reason I joined this band. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and I still like Bob and Rob, but I mean, Zach, Zach is the man, dude. I want to be around that dude. And so, um, yeah, he left. And then Bob and Rob, they were always really down on Reno and hated Reno. And we're like, we got to get out of here. So I was like, why don't we move to San Francisco? You know, it's only like, it's close. You know, and it's in California. And those guys were like, no, we're not moving to California. And so uh, we all decided to move to Portland and nobody, you know, I, I ran away from home and was up there once, you know, for three days, uh, nobody knew any, anybody up there or anything about it. And so, um, yeah, we decided to do that. And I actually did it and nobody else made it. Rob <laughs> made it up there for like maybe six weeks and he rented a house and got a job and, um, uh, you know, and he hated it and said, I'm leaving. I don't like this job. I don't like this place or nothing about it. So he said, I'm going back to Reno. Rob, uh, Bob never made it. We came back from a European tour and everybody like you all know, like the, you don't make any money in Europe because it, all your money is going into van rental gear, plane tickets. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. not a lot after that. And so, uh, Bob said, and we planned this for a year. I'm so mad at Bob. Uh, yeah. He said, um, well, I didn't get make enough on tour. I don't have enough to move. I said, you you were supposed to be saving for a year like everybody did. And so <laughs> that was it. Yeah, I, I was I didn't want to I didn't want to be a part. I was I don't remember how it happened or I guess they weren't moving. I wasn't coming back and that was gonna be that. Wow. So then I um Christian moved up from uh about a month before he moved up from underhand, he moved up to Portland. And so he and I started jamming again and we were just uh we're like, let's do underhand again. And we did that, and we got um, can't exactly remember like what was happening. We might have we might have done some recording or something. We had a killer drummer, um, a drummer in Portland who was also from Humboldt County. He had another one who moved up there, named Jim Lund, who I went to high school with in Arcata. He was ripping drummer, but that's all I liked about him was his drumming, and so I couldn't deal with him that much. So we um, <laughs> that is some of the recordings that have never been released, and they're with Jim on drums, and they're phenomenal. I kept telling Jim to play faster, and he was so angry. You know, and I just made him mad, but he was just hitting harder and playing better, you know? And so, um, <laughs> but I, and I knew, I know this is, you know, I like Jim's drumming a lot, but I, I had a hard time beating around Jim. And so I just was like, Christian, we just have to get his drums on a track and then we could get another drummer. And so we do have that recorded. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I thought I would put it out and I just, I just don't know if I can get behind putting out a record. I want to hear it, man. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I was texting you once I I saw somebody, I don't know, I heard a rumor about a, a an unreleased underhand album and I'm like, I texted you right away. Like, dude, share. There it. is a so there is a remix. There are technically four 7-inches with one that never came out. So there's three on Mutant Pop. We mm-hmm. remixed all four of those with Kevin Army, which I don't know why. Uh, it's weird. I don't. I don't know what I was doing, dude. Just like Kevin Army will make it better. I mean, you know. And if there's like mistakes in the recording, maybe you just ought to do it again. I don't know. Uh, but again, another huge waste of money. And <laughs> Kevin Army, I love him. So we'd work with him for, with Zoinks on Well and Good. Yeah, and he's yeah. great. So he did. Um, 
he remixed all four seven inches. We had to find all these weird machines in the Bay Area that would mix that, that matched the one that we had in Portland that we recorded at Smegma <laughs> Studios. And Kevin found it. It was some bizarre machine. And so we remixed all those. Um, that never came out. And then went back to Portland to Smegma again. And with, um, with the new drummer a few years later, Jim Lund, uh, pretty much recorded a whole album. And That's that awesome. has never come out, and it's good. I I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get that to you somehow. Yes. So how did the uh, there was a, there was a reunion, a Zoinks reunion in I don't know early 2000s, 2004 or something. There were two, one in 2005 and one in 2006. Okay, um, I didn't. I thought there was one. I saw a video of one. Like it looks like you guys are in a record store, but no Rob. Rob's gone. That was the yeah. That was the first one. Rob wouldn't do it, and I was bummed out. Why not, Rob? What's his problem? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, is there, uh, maybe he was on to different things. Maybe, um, I think Rob was probably the, the most mad one at, at Zach. And I think those guys were friends, like, since they were, like, 12 years old. I mean, really young. And I think Rob was uh, pretty, pretty hurt about it. You know, we didn't, it wasn't even like, hey, guys, I'm going to quit the band. <laughs> we just started hearing from people all across the country. <laughs> Because <laughs> he was on tour with Spurt Gun telling everybody, and that's how we heard, and so we were pretty angry. And uh, I think Rob was the most hurt and just really didn't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah, that's that sucks. Yep, but that show was fun. Yeah, we played a, a record store, and then that night we played a, a bigger club, and that was really fun. And then in 2006, we did it again. We played not a record store, but we played two shows. Maybe it was just one. can't remember, but I think it was two. All I remember about Rob this is weird, but um, when I think of Rob, I think of uh, the band Portastatic. Because I remember yes. uh, we were talking about Super Chunk, and he was like, oh, he was all, he just was all hard on fucking Portastatic. And I, I didn't, totally, I, had, I had never heard of him, you know? He's super into that stuff, dude. All kinds of like, you just listen to Super Chunk nonstop, and yeah, a lot yeah. of like weirder, more mellow stuff. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a pretty good bass player. I think he got, he sounds. I like him on well and good. He wrote some really good songs and good riffs, stuff that like I, I, I don't really play guitar that much anymore. But when I picked it up, I'm like, I don't exactly know how to do that anymore. Like to play some of those songs, like Turnstile. I don't know what they are. I mean, maybe I could figure it out if I spent some time. But yeah, it's, it's um, dude, that's a great record. His his songs on that album are like his best work. You know, I think yeah. I think Zach kind of overshadowed him a lot on the other Zoinks stuff. Just because Zach was so good, but I think uh, I think Rob really shined on on Well and Good. And Turnstile was amazing. That's a great song.
he also became a really, you know, uh, he and I would banter a lot on stage and he was, he was really, Rob was so funny. And so mm-hmm. we, we just had a good time on stage. Uh, we had a good time hanging out, you know, and it was fun. It was fun playing with him. I did, yeah, but I didn't know about another reunion. So that, that's pretty cool. Could there ever be another Zoinks reunion? I would like there to be uh, Bill from Dr. Strange about four months ago asked me if we would come down and play and he would uh, rent a big place in Pomona and make it a really big show uh, with a lot of bands. And I was like, yes. And uh, Bob immediately said, no, like oh, on the man. same thread. And I was like, oh. you know, and it's like, oh. and then so I said, well, you know, it's just me, I guess. This isn't going to work. And so I, I asked Zach, I said, Zach, is this something that like, you might you might do or think about? And basically he told me like he's not capable. Uh, he doesn't think he could hit those the notes anymore. Yeah. His, his voice is um, not been taken care of well, or maybe it's just, I don't know what it is. I, and so I, he has a studio. So I just asked him four months ago. He Last thing he said, he, was, he would think about it. And so I just left it at that. I still talk to him, but I don't want to like press him or push him or anything. And I just said, um, you know, I was hoping maybe he would like whatever you do to like, you know, if you were working out, you'd practice with your voice and do some kind of exercises. He's like one of the only people I ever knew who actually did like real vocal exercises. And I think he did them as a joke, but he knew how to do them. You know, like before he would stress stuff up on blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> weird stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Now, I mean, yeah, he told me that he was having vocal issues, but how about, I mean, what are the what are the odds that you guys play together, but you just sing? Oh, Jack's got to sing. He's got to yeah, yeah, sing. Yeah, I get like, it, but. It's just like not, it just wouldn't be good. I mean. I know what you, you gotta, mean. He's got to, I feel like he has to sing at least three. That's my opinion. And then I feel like maybe I could sing six <laughs> or something. <laughs> and then I don't know what we could do. I, and, and it would just be, the bomb if Rob would do it. But I mean, the first thing is, I guess I looked at, um, you gotta get Zach <laughs> and then we'd see Bob and then Rob. So it, I, I guess it's possible, but it's, it doesn't sound totally possible. Oh man. That'd be cool <laughs> though, dude. That'd be really cool. Oh, I'm into it. Yeah. I'm just, I was like, Ray, yes, Bill, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> and it's a lot of work. Fuck, all those guys live in Reno. I'd have to drive over there a lot of times, you know, and practice with them and learn all these songs and start playing guitar again. How and far are you it. from Reno? I don't know, probably eight hours. That's not so bad. Oh, man, if you're just driving over <laughs> for a weekend and, you know, play for yeah, like yeah. two days a little bit and drive back and you have to do that a lot. That'd be, be awesome, though. If, if I was, um, you know, 22 or 25, I just don't care. But, you know, yeah, I'm... Yeah. I'm 50 year old dude and I got a wife I, I snowboard all the time I got a kid and so I, I would I would still do it you know but well you mentioned your kid he looks just like you dude he's got a mohawk and everything like is he into punk rock or what no I took him to see Agent Orange that was his first show when he was six <laughs> and uh Jesus and we were we were at the show and the other bands were playing I think one was Get Dead and I can't remember the other one but he said that they had too many songs and I said you know <laughs> I think you're right, you know, because we kind of <laughs> want to get onto this. So they do seem to be going on a bit. And then so uh, it was probably 11 o'clock, you know, and I mean, maybe it was 10, 10 o'clock. They said, Dad, I'm I'm ready to go home. And I said, well, Agent Orange, it's got to come on. <laughs> and so uh, I said, oh, my goodness. And so I just drove him home. I only live like a mile and a half, two miles, maybe it's three miles from the club. And I drove him home and dropped him off and went back and caught the show, which was great. And, but on the drive home, he said, dad, next time 
what we ought to do is we ought to just stay at home and watch TV until right before Agent Orange comes on, and then we'll go down to the club. And I said, you're six <laughs> years old, Rocco. How are you this jaded already? I mean, yeah. when, I, when I went to the Olympic when I was 12, I got there before the damn show started and looked at all the merch, <laughs> and I wanted, to see, I wanted every minute of the punk show. I didn't want to miss out on anything, even if nothing was happening. Yeah, your kid's opposite. That's cool. Jaded. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's go down for the headliners, watch TV before then. So he, is he into anything at all? I mean, he's pretty he's young not yet, into, but... Nah, he's not really into punk, and um, he's in. He's really into... He likes to create animation, and that's what mostly what he's into. Um, he likes some music. He he likes to look at my record albums, and so we, we look at them. Um, he likes all the ones with, you know, cartoon characters or comic strips and things like that, or cool logos. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and uh, now nah, he's not, not really into them. I, I took him to see another one. I'm trying to think. I took him to see... Pennywise and Lagwagon, maybe or somebody, hmm. uh, but yeah, he's not he's not into it. No, what's he think of uh, of of your stuff, like Underhand or Zoinks? Uh, I think he just he doesn't <laughs> really have much of an opinion. He hears it, but he doesn't really. It's, the music doesn't move him or do anything to him. Yeah. But he could he could just hear that it's me singing. That's cool. He'll grow into it, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not the kind of guy who really cares if people like my stuff. I just li- I only like. That's why I have that damn unreleased underhand stuff, and I'm the, like the only one who's heard it, and I listen to it all the time, and I'm completely satisfied, you know, because yeah, yeah. I don't care if I get any accolades. I just want it to sound good. Dude, when Zach was on, Zach told me that he had uh, an unreleased uh, Big in Japan album, and I, I was Ooh. like, holy shit, you know, he he sent it to me, and I was blown away. It was so good, and uh, but it had another guy singing on it, and uh, I, I don't know who the guy was, some guy from England maybe? But um, Zach wasn't singing on it. But I thought it was really good, but I couldn't believe that it was unreleased. And I think at this point it's up on Bandcamp or something like that. But Yeah. Eh, it's cool. I want to hear that. Uh, it's, it's on Bandcamp, I think. I I'll go find it. I just um, I bought their first record on vinyl recently. I had it on CD forever. Oh, so good. And this, the second one didn't come out on uh, vinyl, CD release only. Nope. I, I really like this. I like both of them. But I do too. They're so different from each other, you know. First one is more more zoinksy. So after zoinks, I assume you you still want to play. So what? Where does uh, handgun bravado come from? So after zoinks, we I started up underhand again. We're playing with Jim Lund. We got this killer recording with him on drums. Um, <laughs> I don't want to play with him anymore, so I don't. And then it's just Christian <laughs> and I. And then um, Jesse, Jesse Kimball. I know there's two Jesses in the Automatics. Jesse Kimball. The yeah. bass player is from Maine, and he said, uh, or from the East Coast. Maybe he's not from Maine. I'm sorry. He could be from New Jersey or somewhere over there. <laughs> I don't know where exactly. <laughs> no idea. East Coast. He knows Colin Sears, and he says, "Hey, um, you Collins, you know? Do you know Colin?" I said, "Yeah, I, I met him. Zoinks when Zoinks played our that show in Europe, our last the tour in Europe, where we were supposed to save money to move to Portland or whatever. Bob was going to, but we were saving money all year. Uh, our last." played with the Donnas in London and Colin came to the show. His band, the Marshes had been touring there and they'd finished up their tour. And so he was hanging around London just for a few more days after the other guys went home. And so he came to the show and um, we all met him and he was a nice guy. And, and then I heard he was moving. Um, Jesse Kimball told me he'd moved. He'd already just moved to Portland. And so Jesse hooked us both up, hooked us up. And um, yeah, we brought him in and he said, um, he liked Underhand, and he liked the new stuff that we were writing and different songs, but he would rather it be a new band and not use the name Underhand. So we called it Handgun Bravado. Uh, the album, 
it's pretty good, man. I mean, it's it's much more like just straightforward. It kind of reminds me of, uh, well, it definitely reminds me of uh, Bad Religion. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's a compliment for you. It is for me. I think they're <laughs> fantastic. But, I mean, that that's, um, I like a straightforward sound like that. It, with um, I, I don't think I'll ever be a guy who plays like, you know, a Wilhelm scream or stuff. That's really like prog rock technical, like to the max. Yeah. And I could listen to a little bit of it. It's a little bit like too much for me sometimes. It's so overwhelming. Um, I don't think I'm I'm the greatest. I'm just kind of down the road, meat and potatoes. It's pretty solid. <laughs> you know, I won't hit a lot of bad notes and try to try to write, you know, <laughs> decent lyrics, decent songs and, and put a lot of the focus in the melody. Dude, reader, that song on that album was was a standout for me. You know, just because I, I like the I like a little slower, you know, a little poppier, and that's the one that did it for me. Absolutely love oh. that one.
I didn't realize that there was anything on Mutant Pop from from Handgun Bravado. And so is there like a short run? Tim was starting to do those and um, he he started to put one out and it looked so terrible. You know, it was like these kind of like phony looking CDs. <laughs> he was just like recording and these, um, you know, I guess they're just CDRs or whatever the hell they were. And this terrible looking cover that he like made on his printer. He's like, here's like, here they are. <laughs> it's like, those look awful, <laughs> you know, and um, we had none of us liked them. And then we ended up going with um, Knock Knock Records. And he just put it out and don't remember how it looked or what we did. I think we just took another photo and put it on there. Huh. And he, maybe he maybe he printed some CDs. They had like a sort of a logo on it, but it looked a little more real. We liked that more. Yeah, I guess I missed That's- that completely. Yeah, it was. I don't. I don't know that they were actually out or for sale or what was happening. Um, and then that knockback. I don't know if it was distributor or what happened to those things. I think we just gave them away to shows or used them to book shows. It wasn't like they were, they were advertisements or anybody was selling them. And I guess knock knock was. <laughs> that was it. I don't think there was any distro. And so that essentially, that's the same, the same record. That's the same recording, the same record, the same songs. It's the demo. It's the handgun bravado demo, and it's the. The first thing I think recorded with Colin. So you don't play anymore at all, huh? It's just, you just practice law. What kind of lawyer are you? Can I ask? Yeah, I, I do personal injury right now. I've done criminal defense and I've done some family law. And I just can't stomach that stuff. Um, and so I just, um, mostly what I'm doing is it sounds, I don't know, people always think you're like an ambulance chaser, but pretty much what I'm doing is I'm just fighting a battling insurance companies constantly and they're just trying to fuck everybody. Yeah, you know, on the on their claims and deny liability, and so that's who I'm fighting, I'm fighting these big fucking Geico corporations. What got you interested in that, though? In law? Yeah. Um, you know, you 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 get to be 29 or 28, and you're just you know you're working at lots of jobs like Kinkos, and there's not that there's anything wrong with that. It just gets uh, it gets old. You know, uh, customers are always on your ass. The yeah, job yeah. you don't you don't get paid a lot. <laughs> you seem like you work a lot. And there's nothing wrong with it, with any of that work. I just wanted more autonomy and I wanted to be able to have some sort of skill set or knowledge. And so my first thought was I'm going to be a plumber, you know, and that's going to be it. And then I just realized you have going to have to do a shit all the time. And so I'm like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm crawling under houses and lifting heavy pipes. I mean, that's like heavy labor and hard work too. It's, it's yucky. And so then I was going to become an electrician. And then I looked into that and I think it was like, it might have been seven years, you know, from the time you started to the time you became, you know, a full electrician and everything. And that just seemed like a long time. And so uh, then I decided I'd go to law school. You still get a skill set, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's three years. And during law school, the whole time, being a student is rad. So, I mean, mostly I, I played in bands. I went on tour. Um, the whole time I was doing that, we were, Hanga Bravado was going. That's awesome. I became a lawyer. I was a lawyer for like two months, you know, at this like firm with all these stuffy lawyers. And I had to ask them like, can I take a vacation? I know I just, I'm only been a lawyer two months. <laughs> I just started here, but I have an opportunity to go tour England with Leatherface, you know, and I get to open up for those guys. And uh, I was surprised, but they said, yeah, they all thought being in a band was really cool. And they yeah. said, why would you want to do what we're doing? Why don't you just keep doing that? And I'm like, I'm fucking tired of being ramen and sleeping on, you know, <laughs> bar room floors. <laughs> yeah. But to them, it's probably exciting, you know? Like That was all they wanted to talk about. I met somebody else that, that happened to them, too. I can't remember who it was. But, yeah, they said, uh, God, fuck, who was that? That's basically what it was, their work setting. Everyone's like, why are, why are you doing this, you know? 
you know, you should be out touring. It doesn't work that way. I was I was clerking for a judge uh, my last semester in law school, and he wants to talk about it a lot. He is a, like a real like I don't know, seemed like a tough guy and real smart. Like I just I didn't want to cross him at all. And he said that's he said everybody Arnie goes and takes these stupid classes in law school and they all have A's and GPAs and they do this and that. Who's in a band touring? You know, that's something interesting. Everybody, you know, you have to work with people eight hours a day or more. And everybody's kind of, a lot of people are boring. He said, you have exciting stuff in your life that people want to know about and talk about. And that's unique to you. And that was the first time that I, I ever, I would I'd never put that on my resume, never talk about band stuff. It just seemed um, like, I don't know, immature and like maybe, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't know I mean, what, uh, you know, and like, you know, what did you do in the five years that you got out of college, Arnie? Your resume looks really shitty. You know, it's like I was playing in bands, working at Kinko's. <laughs> You know, after college or whatever. Yeah. But that's cool, though, you know? I mean, that's just like you're a little bit more cultured than all them, you know? Everybody I didn't else. think it was cool, but uh, but a lot of people, I guess, do, and they like to talk about it, and it's who I am, so I don't mind talking about it to anybody. I think it's cool when, um, you know, people, like, people in bands that I grew up listening to, you find out what they do now, and, you know, like, you're a lawyer, and, like, Daryl from the Bull Weevils is a doctor, and... This guy's a plumber. It's just like so weird to see like all the different directions people go. But yet they're all it's just so it's not weird that you became a lawyer. It's not that you're stupid or anything, but it's just like you were touring so much. It's like how did you even have time to 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 do law school, you know? It's cool. You know, how do you become a doctor and still and play in punk rock bands all the time and tour and stuff, you know? Work a little harder, I guess. I I just I just I liked playing the music. The law thing was um and I like being a lawyer and practicing law now. Um but everything was just about music. And so that was after I got done with law school, I thought about going to med school. And that wasn't because I want to be a doctor. I'll just get another degree and then I'll suck up another four years or so so I can keep playing in bands while I'm in, <laughs> while I'm a student. I'm a student. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, you got to start playing guitar again. You still got that same guitar, that Les Paul? I do. Yeah, that's cool. How long have you had that yeah, thing? I love it. Seems like I've I bought seen... it when I was 16. So yeah. I have, I've had it 30, 34 years. Only once I, I, um, I brought another guitar to Europe, and it was an SG, and it was terrible. It just went out of tune. It was heavy, and felt, it didn't, like, I was like, why is this? I guess it wasn't heavier than the Gibson Les Paul, but I'll shut up. That'll be another another podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you'll have to come back then. So come back when, uh, and, and uh, announce the Zoinks reunion show. I would love cool. to. Or any re- <laughs> an underhand yeah. reunion show. How about that? That's probably more feasible. All right, dude. Like I said, nice chat, and I appreciate you coming on so much. You know, Zoinks were such a great band. Underhand, you know, so important to, obviously, just to, to dorks like me growing up and, and, you know, loving Mutant Pop Records. You were, like, the first one, so it's so cool. Awesome to have you on, and uh, come back sometime, dude. I will. Thanks a lot for having me, Nate. You have a good night. All right. Thanks, Arnie. Bye. All right, there you go. Arnie Cherkos, thanks again, dude, for stopping by. I really appreciate it. If you guys don't have the uh, Zoinks Well and Good album, try to track it down because it is fucking outstanding. But anyways, thanks for tuning in yet once again. Until the next episode, stay safe, stay cool. Bye-bye. Goodbye, yeah.
How very.